So I have so I have to ask because I have a, I have a I have a disclaimer for today. There's a lot there's a lot going on here at the studio today. So Ben, what I think you said a little while while we were just kind of talking. Where are you located outside of Planet Earth? A little more localized. Planet Earth, this galaxy. No, I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California. So you're you're in LA. So I'm Jerry's in. Well, now Jerry's in New York. He was in New Jersey. Still thirty um, miles from New York City. Yeah. So, so you got you guys are coastal, right? When, when uh -huh. the, so I am in I'm in Austin, and we just moved. We're out in the country a little bit. So I've got a lot going on in here today because I'll tell you, um, yesterday, this is we're three acres, so not not a not a spread of land, but notable, and we're kind of outside the city. Uh, I'm in the I'm in the kitchen of the house, and from the back of the house, my partner Celeste, she says, um, "Oh dear." And I was like, yeah. And if you've been married or in a relationship for a long time, oh, you yeah. realize half, half of it is yelling across the house. What? What? Right. Half of that. So she goes, oh, dear. I go, yeah. She goes, no, dear. I go, no, I got it. I mean, what? What do you need? So five minutes of this back and forth. And she finally comes out. She goes, no, dear. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, there's always deer around the house. So I, so I walk to the back of the house. I look out the window and there's a dead deer. Oh, it, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. And I go, oh, dear. And she goes, yes, dear. So there's this big 150 pound, probably not huge, but a notable size deer just kind of leaning on the house. Leaning on and the house? Le kind of leaning up against the house. And I'm not really I'm not entirely sure what I'm supposed to do with that deer. Uh, we've called the, we call So that's why I'm saying there's people running around today, like doing some things as we were trying to figure it out. But the reason I bring it up is I was like, well, we call the game warden. He's busy. We called the Bastrop office, the Bastrop, uh, what is it? Animal control. They don't even work until, you know, three more days from now. Uh, we called animal shelters and support. Now, nobody will help us with, nobody's going to help us with this dead deer. And so she looks at me and she goes, what are we going to do with it? Well, we have a, a one and a half acre lot next to us. And I said, well, we could, you know, this evening, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just move it. We'll, we'll drag it. And she goes, well, I'll help you with that. And I said, you don't need to help me move this deer. She goes, no, no, I really want a story about the time we hid the dead body <laughs> together. That's like a really healthy relationship. I mean, I don't. Are do you really know your partner until you hide a dead deer with them? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, so Ben, it brings me to you and what you do because I was thinking about this and that you help find people who've you know you kind of hot, trying to hide the dead bodies in social. So it's kind of an interesting. There's a little segue there for you of like we we can unearth that shit together. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I don't know anything about disposing of dead deer whatsoever, but yeah, yeah, the connection is there. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's a loose sure. connection, but it's there. Currently, yeah. everybody's got a dead deer leaning against their house. <laughs> Maybe that'll be Thomas new Thomas new pitch. Do you have a dead deer leaning against your house? Because do you? Do you? Yeah. Do you have decomposing mammals that you need help? Uh, yeah. So. You know, we'll figure it out. Well, look, we'll... <laughs> I swear I haven't had a drink yet. Are you you guys ready? You want to jump into this? Yeah, we're good. Okay, let's go. We got a show to do. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here.
All right, I'm going to bring Jerry right in. Dead deer aside, uh, we, <laughs> we I'm, I'm always going to be wondering what else you're burying on the back 40. <laughs> We're just dragging stuff around. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. Nothing to see here. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the show. We're excited to have you back. We do this somewhat uh, regularly every week. Uh, we do a podcast. It is a labor of love. You won't find any advertisements uh, or any uh, promotional stuff here, but what you will find are maybe 20-minute conversations uh, with folks that we think are doing cool stuff in the space uh, or that we think warrants a little bit of attention. Uh, so some of them are more personalities, some of them are practitioners, but it really does run the spectrum. Uh, and we're excited to bring those to you. We've got a fun topic today. Hopefully we don't talk about any more um, animals uh, on the side of homes. I apologize for that in advance. Uh, but we are live streaming on uh, the LinkedIn, the Twitter, the Facebook, and the YouTube. Uh, you'll find those there. You can also find more information and future episodes and past episodes at cxr.works slash podcasts. And if you happen to be watching on a channel where there's live stream and a chat window, we'd encourage you to jump right in. Uh, you can ask questions of our guests today. You can ask questions of us. You can just say hello uh, or share your own social profile in there. Did I miss anything, Jerry? No, you got it all. All right. Well, I'm excited to welcome our guest first time to the show. Ben, how are you? Doing great, doing great. Dead mammals aside, I'm excellent, excellent. See, it wasn't me who brought it back up. Wasn't me, wasn't me. So Ben, for those for those who have not had the pleasure of meeting and chatting with you before, uh, I'm gonna ask that you go ahead and, go ahead and give us a, a quick sort of escalator pitch. Like who is Ben? Why do we care what Ben has to say? Like what's Ben been doing the last couple of years? Just kind of give us an overview and then, and then we'll just jump in. It's funny, those are questions I ask myself every day in the <laughs> Every day. <laughs> What have you been doing the past few years? No, I'm Ben. I'm the, uh, I'm the CEO and founder uh, of a company called Fama. Uh, we are a online screening company. Basically, what we do is help identify workplace misconduct to help you hire great people. Um, our point of view is that generally that the way that workplace misconduct presents itself has changed fundamentally over the past few years. Of course, background checks and education verifications, drug tests, et cetera all part of how we hire, how we think about quality of hire. But our point of view uh, is that the way that that misconduct presents itself has changed. So we look at everything from social media to Google to news, litigation, sanctions, depending upon, uh, you know, your use case, seniority of hire. Uh, we got tools and technology to help you identify misconduct in 2023. So that's us. So uh, this topic is wonderful. I, I love this topic because for so long, I mean, we have seen organizations get in trouble Mm. Uh, PepsiCo, when I, I had just come to PepsiCo, it had just wrapped up an issue where, uh, you know, hiring decision had been made years and years and years ago. Hiring decision had been uh, made based on content that had been seen on social and they got in just a shitload of trouble. Uh, right. Awful lot of monies got paid out. They weren't alone. A lot of organizations going through sort of that challenge because the information somebody puts on their LinkedIn profile or their Facebook page or their, you know, Twitter when they're tweeting uh, is, is findable. It's, it's discoverable. It's easy to get to. And so I think a lot of recruiters were like, well, let me just look this candidate up, you know, kind of in the early days. And that is right. a, a precarious uh, freedom, right, that, that a lot of recruiters may have or a lot of organizations may have. Uh, can you is that is that sort of the impetus? Like what, what was the impetus sort of to get into this space? Is it did you just see a glaring opportunity there uh, to address this or was it something else? No, I came out of, uh, you know, kind of what I'll call like general enterprise software. So I've been doing enterprise SaaS for pretty much my whole career. I didn't come out of HR. I didn't know anything about talent acquisition. I mean, to show you what a, a novice I was, 
I actually thought that background checks were stored in some like secret underground database three miles beneath the Pentagon before I started this company. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. But I, in you know, mountain, the reason in a mountain in Cheyenne or <laughs> in the side they of are, a mountain. They are done that way in Russia, but that's another story. Right. That's another story. No. So I, I started Fama really because I experienced the pain that we saw for today. Early company, hire a guy, look great on paper, resume references checked out. The guy comes on board six months in, he ends up sexually harassing one of our top salespeople at the company. Really bad experience for her, for the victim, for the business. After the fact, we see on this guy's social media, all this pejorative, misogynistic content about women that had we seen it, never would have brought this guy on board. So I didn't know anything about the FCRA. I didn't know anything about protected classes, right, coming into it. But luckily, I was able to meet some, you know, key players in the space. I met, you know, Jerry way back in the day when I was just uh, starting things up, but also, you know, attorneys like Pam Devada from Safe Hearth Shaw, who kind of helped craft our compliance approach. And yeah, we really came at this from just understanding the problem and wanting to build a solution that others had kind of experienced too. Yeah, it's that part. It just it's so fascinating to me. One that people post things that are just so idiotic that it's going to get them in trouble. But I mean, that's the. I mean, like it should it should cease to amaze me, but it doesn't. So yeah. it's it's kind of interesting to me. I mean, you mentioned FCRA. I think um, you guys are EEOC. You guys are GDPR. You're you're all the acronyms compliant. All the acronyms. So yeah. so it's fascinating to me. So if I apply uh, to an organization that uses FAMA. Yep. What should I expect as an applicant? Do I need to go scrub my social and make sure I didn't make a joke in 2015 that then maybe was borderline and is now outrageously inappropriate? Yeah. So the the reality is on, on stuff like this, right? Because I thought, you know, the same thing. You would think as a consent-based workflow, right? You check the box. Say, yeah, you have consent to, you know, look at my online presence. You think most people would go in and delete all the racist stuff that they'd said or, you know, make their profiles private, right? But the really interesting thing that we found over the years is that, you know, in many ways, the online check is sort of a proxy for assessing what's the sort of behaviors that a candidate's going to normalize in the workplace, right? Most people who are truly problematic don't think there's anything wrong with that aberrant behavior, right? They don't think there's anything wrong with saying something misogynistic about women or intolerant of others or harassing, threatening, fraud, illegal activity, whatever it might be. And that's the mentality they bring into the organization, which is why, you know, uh, people sign up for online screening is because they know that, hey, look, like this person's going to be interfacing with customers, interfacing with key employees, maybe leading teams. Right. We need to make sure that that sort of value orientation is aligned with what we're talking about. So when it comes to the, the job seeker who might be getting a FAMA check, like, again, 95 percent of these reports are clear. There are no hits that are out there and hiring managers aren't looking at. You know, we don't even flag for profanity. We don't flag for things like alcohol or anything like that, because that's normal stuff. Right. But if you are, again, acting, threatening, harassing or intolerant towards others online, you, you, you might not, you know, get, uh, uh, you know, a clear report. So it's really, you know, small, what I call kind of a high impact, low probability type check. Um, but, you know, most people have uh, absolutely nothing to worry about because most people are not harassing people or acting hateful on the Internet. Yeah. It, so it, you raise an, a, a kind of kind of question for me, I guess, if I'm at a more conservative organization, do, do are there are there levers and knobs that I, I get to move around to say, well, I don't I don't want anybody here who's drinking, uh, who's posting drinks, uh, you know, alcohol or at the, you know, someplace I deem inappropriate for my employer yeah. brand. Is that is that a feature? Do you, do you guys have your own sort of moral 
I guess, uh, compass that you move through and they can adjust that? Or is it just a flat line? Yeah, it's, it's highly configurable, the solution. That's the whole point, right? It's like different companies have different screening criteria for what a quality of hire looks like for their organization. So, you know, we don't score. We don't tell you who's good or who's bad. We don't give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. In fact, we've even removed the colors like red, green, and yellow from the application. So there isn't any kind of, uh, you know, imparting that we're saying or making an opinion about this subject. But clients can come in, configure and say, hey, this is what misconduct looks like for my organization. Out of the box, you can turn on things like, like I said, intolerance, threats, harassment. You can't flag for protected classes of information. Um, you know, and actually, you know, we had to make some of these calls, right, around like what we flag for and what we don't. So we actually decided not to flag for alcohol. You can add keywords related to profanity if you'd like, but we tried to sort of balance that line between sort of what, uh, you know, is fair for the candidate and what do most companies care about and, you know, what are most companies looking for at the same time. So, so it's kind of so you you set boundaries, if you will, for yourself in terms of what you would do for a client Correct. who might be asking for you to do something that would be in the gray area. Uh, for example, uh, prison time. Exactly right. And there have been many opportunities and many times over the past you know, eight years since we've started the company where we've turned down you know, uh, projected uses of the Fama solution, which could be its own own podcast, but I mean everything from like, you know, large organizations in the States to, you know, foreign government controlled organizations and places, you know, like, uh, you know, within Asia and the European continent as well that, you know, wanted to flag for certain things. We said, hey, you know, not uh, not what we're doing. here. So, But the, the argument is, or at least the pitch for for being able to search social, right, just take, mm -hmm. taking FEMA out of it. Being able to search yep. social is that this increases the quality of candidate. Right. Right. I mean, that that is the stance. And what we're really talking about, and and Jerry and I can appreciate this, is is kind of a kind of a no asshole policy, is what you're kind of talking about. Yeah, but I, I think it's more than that, Chris, in the sense of being able to defend, if you mm -hmm. will, that 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 level of assholedness <laughs> is going to impact the performance of the teams sure. that I would be part of. It's like uh, a risk right. assessment for right. that. Because I'm, I'm now going to create the kind of um, problems within the organization that would be difficult to manage because of, of being such an outlier, if you will. And I'll, I'll kind of make that a little more practical. So from a compliance standpoint, what that means, you have to draw a straight line between the candidate behavior and business impact, right? You have to be able to connect in the same way a standard background check, right? If I were to run a, um, call it motor vehicle checking, MVR, on somebody who is in a non-driving role, right? Not driving a car is part of the job whatsoever, but if I run an MVR, that person gets a hit on the MVR. I really can't use that in a hiring decision, right? Because it's not business impact in the same way that Jerry's framing it. So really the concept here is like, let's use like intolerance as one example, right? Let's say there's somebody who's posting all this, you know, crazy stuff online about black people, something like that, right? If there's black people in that organization, black customers that that organization is serving, that is a direct line to business impact, right? Because that's somebody that's gonna either alienate key employees, make them wanna leave, act threatening, harassing towards others, or two, alienate key, key customers and make those people not want to buy from me anymore. So that's really the ways that, you know, customers use this technology today. 
And, you know, when we got started, like I said, there was no case law backing it up. But now you've got, you know, uh, black and white case law from, you know, states all across the country and even internationally uh, where you see, you know, this being upheld in the courts. It, as a way it seems to me that in the category that you represent in our industry, there ought to be some form of agreement among the various uh, colleagues, if you will, who you compete with. Mm. Uh, to set this standard, if you will, that that okay. everybody who's involved in background checks basically uh, would abide by a set of principles that that support that. That's right. And I think part of that is not just what you flag for and what you don't flag for, but a big thing for us is like ethical AI. Who's building the tech, right? Are you scoring? Are you giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down? You know, we... We have certain features of, of what we do and how we do it that, you know, help us differentiate in the marketplace. But certainly, Jerry, like, a, you know, data Magna Carta, if you will, of how this data is used and not used is something that uh, we've talked about a lot. And, you know, I've got really, you know, good peers in the industry you know, big fans of companies like Social Intelligence, for example, Bianca Lager, that team, they set up, sure. you know, the, the very first FTC letter back in 2011 with social media screening and making that FICRA compliant. Cool. So. Yeah, it's it's a nascent industry, but one I think that does require a level of like, what is the standard of care here? You know, what are what are we going to fight for? What are we not? So is there a group that does that in the industry? No, not today. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I get so. I guess my question too becomes: uh, Where does the liability ultimately sit? So are you mitigating the risk of my hiring decision as an employer if, if you're that, that solution or, or third-party vendor? Right. Uh, do I still take the bullet uh, one way or the other? Or like, how, like what's the advantage of that other than speed? Right? Because if I'm going to check backgrounds as an organization, I'm going to check background or a social, then I'm going to check it. So is the, is the prime advantage here uh, speed or quality? There's a any time you turn to a, a third party solution in, in this applies to all types of software, in my opinion. Right. If you turn to a third party solution, that's a point solution that focuses only on solving one problem. They're going to be more consistent. They're going to be more comprehensive, whether that's background screening, CRM technology, ATS, whatever, recruitment tech, however you want to frame it. It's going to be ultimately a higher quality and, and ideally more consistent, more comprehensive than the process you have in place today. But outside of those like what I'll call standard cloud-based software advantages that are out there, there's the compliance piece. Like if you're doing this yourself and you're right, you guys said at the top of the call, oh, everyone's doing it right. But the employee relations people who are on right now, maybe the, the uh, you know, legal folks who might be listening in, they're like, we don't do that shit. We don't do that. Trust okay. me, we don't do that at our company, right? So there's uh -huh. a big risk doing this yourself because you see stuff that you shouldn't see, right? You as a hiring manager go down that slippery slope and you see information about a subject that kind of, you know, whether or not you say you're using it in a hiring decision. If I was a hiring manager or I was a recruiter filling a rec and I just happen to say, you know what, let me check this person out on Facebook. And I see that that person is pregnant or if I see that that person is disabled. Right. EEO says you can't unring the bell. You can't unsee that information and you're going to use that in the hiring decision. So. Companies turn to us not just for the consistency, comprehensiveness, and, you know, I'd say the quality of what we do and the speed, like you mentioned, but really the compliance protection too. you know, the, the fact that we operate in about 25 countries at this point and have a, a compliance framework in place that helps us 
you know, scale what we do uh, uh, without exposing the company to risk. So, so what's the, well, I love that. Um, and I just, I keep using the word interesting and fascinating because this is such a fun topic. Uh, having been a recruiter that's, you know, at the time when social was really hitting and leading teams when social was hitting, having countless discussions about not checking Facebook or not checking these other channels. I just think this is such a fun topic. Um, yeah. Ben, what are, what, have you had any, I have so many questions. Well, what's the false positive or false negative rate on stuff like this as it comes in? Yeah, so it's really, you know, dependent on, uh, you know, sort of the, the type of check we're running. When we think about false positives, we think about the John Doe problem, right? So we think about, did we find the right John Doe in a sea of John Does who lives in a big city, works at a big company? So we use a combination of both automation and humans in the same workflow. So we're not fully automated. And some investors who hear that, they're like, you know, when we were pitching from a VC standpoint, they were like, all right, zoom over, you know, that type of thing. We're not going to get the SaaS margin that we're looking for. But ultimately for us, our clients want to make sure that we're finding the right person online. Again, it's all that we do, right? If we're putting the wrong social media profiles or web results, foundational problem with our solution. So we audited about 99 plus percent, so 99.5 percent improving a chain of custody of social profiles, web results to the subject. And then when it comes to false positives on the report, false negatives, we actually tend to optimize more for uh, false positives compared to false negatives when we do our sort of like content structuring, content filtering. But, you know, that ratio, again, is in like the 97, 98, a little bit lower than our accuracy on is the profile the subject or not, just because content, as you might imagine, uh, runs the gamut in terms of like what is threatening or what is harassing online. Interesting. Interesting. And what, what would you say we're at, and we're asking this a lot lately, but what would you say to the conversationalization uh, mm. of technology like this? I mean, when you're talking about, it's not Fama GPT, uh, but when you're talking about that kind of technology, everybody's buzzing over, you mentioned investors and, you know, people yeah, looking yeah. for the levels of automation. Are they asking if it's, if it's baked in, are they, you know, are, are you seeing a place for this with, within your lane? You know, I, I think there are not chat GPT, but the GPT-4, you know, uh, uh, model structure itself has actually been, you know, very helpful for us when it comes to, you know, sort of the initial stages of some of our, our content filtering, right? And the way that we think yeah. about doing what we do from a technology standpoint. But certainly, you know, the, the concept of introducing, uh, you know, chat GPT into what we do now, we're... We're not there yet. And I don't think that many companies, right, you know, the, the, the challenge that, that we run into is that some companies want full automation, others want completely manual, and they're somewhere in between that kind of fits the broader, I would say, segment of the market that's out there. But the reality is, is like there is so much nuance in who we hire. There is so much nuance in what a quality candidate and a good hire, to put it simply, looks like for a company that you can't give a score. You can't give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If I'm a hiring manager and a solution spits out, well, you know, Jim is an 87 and Jane is an 84, but I can't explain to you how I came up with that score because it's a chat GPT or some AI model that we built. It's going to be really difficult for you to defend using that as part of your hiring decision. So my point of view on AI and talent acquisition is much more that we have to focus on, you know, sort of replacing the, the more menial rote tasks within the function and bringing users in this space, in the TA space, to what I call kind of the precipice of action 
to help them inform their own rational mind, their own decision-making about how to move forward with a candidate. So I think anything that tries to replace the entire workflow or replace the entire funnel is personally, again, this is not something that everyone agrees with me on, but I don't think that's ever going to take off in our industry, maybe in the next 10 years, maybe we'll see it. But for now, I think the biggest opportunities for AI, for chat GPT are, you know, potentially to say, how do we produce, uh, you know, replace the, those most menial and, and sort of uh, repetitive tasks that are out there, like reading through a person's web presence or, you know, finding the web results about them online. There are ways that you can use automation to replace control F. I almost, but I almost see the delivery of what a service like that does, a backer is being able to say, hey, AI, uh, is this candidate a cultural fit? Now, we're obviously we're talking about in the future, right? But are they a cultural fit? Maybe my cultural parameters have been predefined with prompts by a chat GPT prompt engineer we hired. But the right. idea being, right, like, do they fit? And then just getting a quick note back that says, yeah, this guy's kind of an asshole. You're probably, probably going to want to skip this one. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, I'm generalizing, Jerry. Jerry has a hard time with me saying just an asshole, but <laughs> you know, the risk. It is, that? but but we're also really looking at only one half of the equation. We're looking at the equation constantly of whether or not the employer believes this person can do the job in the framework of the culture, the whatever. But but no one really is fully engaged in helping the candidate discover whether or not he or she will do the job given that they can. Um, and, and we have not gone to that, to that side of the equation in either technology or in real process. We only do it through coaching, which is a much more of a subjective approach to that and does not really have the, the scientific underpinnings that some of the can they, can they do the job have. So yeah. we're, I, that's, why, that's why I would agree, Ben, with you that it's going to be many years before we get to a point sure. where the quality of decision making on both sides is sufficient to be truly predictive. Exactly. And, and what is that foundational fit? I mean, to extend that even further, Jerry, it's like you could assess, right? There are ways and, and I'll, I'll make this really big picture, right? So we all know the way that like Meta, Facebook and Instagram, right? The way that they look at our online behavior to sell us advertising, right? Meta is really, really good at putting us into audiences and, you know, telling a brand or an advertiser, hey, this is where this person's going to be. This is the site they're on. This is the stuff that they respond to because they've been tracking our behavior for so long, right? They've been looking at what we're doing online right now. There's an argument, I think, Chris, that in the next few years, maybe you could do some sort of audience development, candidate development, candidate pool development, right? To say, well, look, let's look at the behavior, maybe not just through social media, but through how people get work done, plugging into everything from a lattice to a Slack to Outlook to you know, you could get all of our tools together, start monitoring it and developing patterns and seeing how people engage with the tools that they have, what that means for performance. And it's possible, it's possible that we could assess the likelihood of a candidate to fit in to that audience, if you will, you know, of, of somebody who's within a company. Now, I still think, Jerry, your point is, is spot on, which is like, we have the foundational fit, but how much are we going to kind of credit towards, yeah, this person is going to be 
a quality hire at the company versus here's what we need to do as a business to get that person to that level of quality that we think that they have the potential to reach, right? So I think there's like qualifiers here that you can introduce, but it's a, it, it's a really potentially interrupt to use your term, interesting, you know, future that we're kind of, you know, yeah, because, because if we ask Ben, if we ask any TA leader to define quality of hire, I, I bet a mortgage payment that none of them are going to say anything about online behavior prior to employment. Right. So to Jerry's right. point, like there's sort of two sides, like that term quality in our space historically is right or wrong. How long do they stick around? Right. We're talking about retention. Uh, what were their performance scores? Uh, their 360 feedback from their peers, you know, the, these different milestones and these things is what we think of. So we don't we don't as TA leaders th- really put, put put this element of that candidate into a bucket that we label as quality of hire. But, but arguably, I would say, say though, you know, we've, we've done a lot of market research on this. And one of the things that we found was that the number two biggest challenge of the HR leaders that we serve, we work with a great firm called like Newton X. We talked to a bunch of companies, 1,000 to 25,000 employees across a bunch of different industries, 150 different businesses, CHROs, VPs, et cetera. The number two challenge that every single one of these people listed was finding a candidate with the right skills and personality for the role, right? So I do think that companies have those conversations and TA, I've been in the conversations myself saying, yeah, that person, they're a good, I could have a beer with that person. You hear that all the time, right? You have the first, oh boy. (laughs) The first academic would would tell you that that gives you restricted range, which tells you, you do not know the the value you would get from Mm. ignoring that personality and using mm. that individual as a catalyst to engage others to get to a higher level. So mm-hmm. you know, like fundamentally, there's, we don't have that information because we make decisions based on restricted range information. Mm. Interesting. Just saying. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, a, it's a good point. Yeah, you're it's right. It's a fun I field. I mean, it is a fun field. This is sort yeah. of, um, these are like conversations early on we had with like with assessment. Oh, we lost him. Yeah, I mean, he's out. That's that's the Jerry. Uh, yeah. So it is kind of, an, kind of an interesting conversation to have because there were a lot of conversations on, you know, gamification of assessments and do, do, yeah. do we have enough information to make solid hiring decisions on these? Those are too risky. Those are too scary. So I think when you get into something new or that becomes uh, a little more mainstream or commercialized and available, uh, I think for some organizations can be a little scary. So I think this is a fun space to watch. Uh, and sort of right. see what comes out of it. Right. It's also, yeah. I think, a question, too, in, in this dynamic of like decision making, right, that we assume that perfection exists, whether it's perfection at a, at a technical level or perfection at a human level of the recruiter, the talent acquisition pro that's running the search. Right. So the bigger you know, question for me is like, how do you give somebody that confidence to make a decision? Is it going to be perfect? No. But can you feed in enough foundational information to that decision making process to enable that person to make that call of, yeah, we want to invest in this person. Yeah. We want to bring them yeah. into our organization, right? And so I think you have to, from my perspective, I think this is about recognizing imperfection across technology and humans and that we can use a wide range of tools to get us to a point of hopefully getting better, but it'll never be perfect. Ever. I don't yeah. Know. 
Yeah, well, there's there's nothing perfect about recruiting, so that that is for sure. Ben, ben let me ask you uh, before we let you go, uh, if you were going to write a book today on on the topic of this, what mm. what would the title of that book be? <laughs> oh man, I would say you know, uh, I would call it the the midnight hour is what I would call it. Because with this is a company that we believed in early on. Like I told you at the top, like we had experience, you know, I had experienced something that, you know, I missed on a new hire that was plainly available online. We had believed for so long and invested in met a community of, of early customers and investors, et cetera, who also saw the potential in what we were doing. But between 2015 and 2019, to be totally candid, this was a slow moving industry and it was only recently in the past three or four years or so that we've started to see that uptick. So I think, you know, we're looking at kind of the, the sort of modernization of how we think about misconduct and how we spend our time, where we spend our time. So I'd call it uh, the, the midnight hour in the sense that things happened at the, the kind of last minute for us and have now, you know, grown substantially over the past few years or so. So okay, uh, subject to review, subject to review. Nice. Nice. Well, okay. So Ben, who gets the first signed copy of your book? You do. You do. No, you and can't, you can't all, give it, can't give it to us. Have, <laughs> all you have to do is, is trade me that dead deer leaning up against your house. Right <laughs> I can't, you, no, we're not good partners in that. You're supposed to out me for hiding bodies. That, I mean, that's, oh. that's the issue. Yeah. Can't, can't give it to me. Can't get, or Jerry can't give it to Jerry. Um, I give it to our uh, our very first customer, I would say, who who believed in us from day one. There's a guy named, uh, well, a company rather named Carco, named Sisive, a guy named Jim Owens, who was one of the very first people uh, to buy into to what we were doing. So, Jim, if you're listening, nice. read the book. I love it. A shout out to Jim. Ben, hang in. I'm going to put you in the green room. Don't go anywhere yet. I want to thank you so much for your time. You're a super busy dude. So we appreciate you dialing in uh, and joining us and, and sharing some of that wisdom. It's a, it is an interesting space to see this sort of really taking off. So uh, th thanks for the input. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys having me. All right. Hang out really quickly. Uh, I just want to remind everybody very quickly, uh, we have launched... <laughs> I don't know where Jerry went, but uh, we have launched uh, recently via the CXR Foundation uh, and under Jerry's uh, leadership, uh, along with 48, I think the number is 48 other recruiters in the space have launched something called the History of Recruiting. You're going to find it at cxr.foundation slash history. I'm not even joking you. Uh, this is the, the entire background. This is a wonderful resource. It is a growing and living resource. So this is a wonderful resource for anybody just getting into the space. Uh, if you were looking to just learn a little bit more about the space, we realize that it is a little U.S. centric. We're working on that. Uh, but it is made up of the input of, of dozens and dozens of recruiters in that space. It goes all the way back to, I think, the uh, late 1800s, uh, all the way up to present. Uh, you are able to contribute content to that. If you like, you can also see a full list of the contributors at the bottom of that page at cxr.foundation slash history. And of course, uh, you can, of course, learn a little bit more about what goes on at our CXR Foundation nonprofit uh, and make a donation if you would like or even be part of any number of the programs that we've been working on over there uh, for the last couple of years. We're excited about that. We do live uh, work that in the local communities when we do our live events. We just did a beach cleaning. That didn't suck. Uh, a lot of fun. Felt good uh, to do that kind of good work in the space with other TA leaders. 
Uh, we've got uh, a mentoring platform that is coming up. I'm teasing a little bit about that uh, in the last few shows, but you're going to see that here in about a week or so. We're going to launch that piece that's free, that's going to be included in the space. Uh, we've got a jobs platform that's been out there, uh, the history of recruiting, and just a number of things. So check it out. There's just a lot of good work going on at the foundation. CXR.foundation. You can check that out. And with that, I'm going to tell everybody we will see you next week. Thanks for listening or watching. And don't forget, future events at cxr.work slash events. And of course, this one is slash podcast. So you can dial in, subscribe, uh, listen to previous episodes and future episodes, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads, and on Instagram at career xroads. We'll catch you next time. Oh,